0: Welcome to Change Nerds, the podcast for change managers by change managers. This is Adan Ali, your Hong Kong-based change nerd, and I am joined with my co-host and fellow change nerd, Kara Sundar from St. Petersburg, Florida. Today's topic is personal resilience, and we're joined today by Natalie Richardson. Natalie is a Colorado-based consultant who has spent the last five years leading, developing, researching, and consulting on change management and organizational development. She is passionate about helping organizations improve their business results with an approach that is centered on building relationships of trust and empowerment with her clients. Hey, Natalie, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you
1: so much for having
0: me. We are so excited to have you today. This is going to be a great topic, but just to level set with our listeners today, why is personal resilience an important topic?
1: It is so important as a change manager because we are managing resistors who are actually going through stages of grief because Um, Especially in American culture, our identity is in our work. And so when our work changes, our identity changes, and therefore that triggers neurons in our brain that we are experiencing grief. And so it's really important to talk about this topic because as change managers, we get the impact of those people who are going through grief.
2: I also think we work with project team members who, who they're just stressed out all the time. Like they're on a deadline. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of business as usual when it comes to the work that we do. And so you're just completely surrounded from your sponsor to your end user with people that are, are struggling to find their normal and and maybe having some really <laughs> severe reactions based on that that exactly. change.
1: You're absolutely right. It comes from all directions. It comes from the end user, it comes from your sponsor, your buyer, whoever it might be that you're working with, that everyone is under a lot of stress. And it all points back to identity, and that all points back to fear and and grief and fear of the unknown. And so it's a really important topic to talk about because we all experience it as change managers. We have to go home at the end of the day and mm-hmm. and, and manage that. And so how do we we cope with that? That's a really important topic, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think it's fascinating that you have mentioned that it's a lot, you know, similar to grief. You, you don't really think of change in that sense. I mean, I, when I think of grief, for me, it strikes me as a type of change, but not necessarily something that change could be. Like, change is grief, potentially. Um,
1: it is, it is, and so there's a change model,
0: um, the Satir change
1: model, that is the it, if you line it up over top of the Kubler-Ross stages of grief model, it's actually the same, which is shocking. Um, so people go through shock, and then denial, then frustration, then depression, then they want to experiment with it, and then they make a decision, and then they finally choose to adapt and to move into that change. But it's the same as grief, and so we always, we I think we oftentimes forget that.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Acceptance comes to mind, right? The goal is Mm -hmm. adoption slash acceptance. So what does this look like? Can you potentially walk us through some of the phases uh, and really what that might look like for us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so in the change, the change curve or change model, you know, you have the new process that's introduced. People get... Um, scared if it's not managed well or if it even if it is being managed well they mm. still sometimes can be can be scared and so there's a dip in productivity there's a dip in morale and when that dip happens people start to feel shock they start to feel denial they get frustrated and they start might start taking it out on people at work or people at home um, I've had clients in the past that have gotten that have reacted to it in different ways I've had a client in the past that threw a chair in a meeting because um, the client was angry about the change. I've had people that retaliate through sadness, although they will just cry whenever they find out about a change. Or I've had folks that retaliate just in terms of they don't want anything to do with it and they start sabotaging it from the outside where well, they, they will avoid going to meetings and then they will talk poorly about the meeting even though they didn't attend and they'll just start to really sabotage the change and so the people react in different ways whether it's through anger or sadness or like I said retaliation in different ways and so how we manage that in the beginning is very important because that sets the stage for how that person in that organization overall will will make manage the change and we'll see the change over time.
0: Yeah. And Natalie, is there a way we as change managers can be empathetic to this? So the fact that, you know, when I think about individuals, they're really bringing their work identities, you know, into Mm -hmm. the workplace, but they also have their personal identities. And yes, the two are very closely related, but you're bringing your whole self to work. So do you have any techniques or just observations on ways we have an opportunity as change managers to um, manage that stress and and also just being more empathetic?
1: Absolutely. I use this all the time in my work. Um, There's a really great article, The Atlantic did on how Americans' identity is in their work. And so I always try to remind my clients of this and I oftentimes will bring this up at the beginning of a change and say your identity is oftentimes in your work so let's talk through that Mm -hmm. and i'll facilitate a values exercise um, with some of my key stakeholders or key resistors whoever the pockets of people might be that i'm working through in this discussion um working through this with and we will facilitate a values exercise where we talk about what does it mean for you to show up to work every day are you the the type of person that brings your full self to work or do you kind of compartmentalize and you come into work, you don't want to talk about what you did over the weekend, you don't want to talk about, um, you know, your personal life at all, or how things are affecting you? And really just level set. And I think the value in that is that you'll see the, the eyes look around the room and say and think, you know what, I'm not alone in this. I'm not the only person that feels like I bring myself my full self to work. I'm not the only person who, who doesn't necessarily do that and who wants to just get right to business. And so, Not feeling alone in that and knowing how your colleagues might manage that, I think is really important. So that's one of the strategies I first use with my clients is I ask them, you know, how do you show up every day? And then we go from there. And one of my favorite things to do when a conversation starts to go down a a strange path, whether it's you have a resistor, or you have a, um, a sponsor that's starting to get frustrated, or, you you know, as change managers, we become really good at reading body language. And so when you start to see something go off the rails, I like to use the term, um, or the phrase, I suppose, from one of my favorite authors, favorite researchers, Dr. Brené Brown, she says, to, to say, the story I'm telling myself is blank, and then say, is that true? And so the story I'm telling myself is, you're really frustrated with this change. Is that true? And having them help you unpack that, but opening that up for them to think, okay, yes, Natalie is right, or no, she totally misread the situation. And so it's on me um, more so than it is on them. So it kind of takes the the responsibility off of them a little bit to bring up their own emotion.
2: So it's like, this is what I'm interpreting when I see Mm -hmm. you throw a chair or not show up to a meeting. The story I'm telling myself is that you don't care about this meeting enough to come when maybe the reality may be I'm so afraid of looking stupid that I just can't even be in the room. You know, some You're kind of motive right. behind the scenes.
1: You're absolutely right, Kara, yes.
2: And I get that a
1: lot with my clients because it open when you, when I, I found, when I use that phrase, it opens up the door for them to be vulnerable and for them to say, I don't know what's going on. Oftentimes I have folks that have created workarounds around something because they genuinely don't know and they're too Mm -hmm. afraid to ask. And so something I talk to my my executives about a lot is having psychological safety in their workplace Mm -hmm. during a change. I mean, you should always hopefully have psychological safety in the workplace, but especially during a change where – your colleagues and your employees felt comfortable to come to you and say, hey, leader, I, to be honest, kind of tuned out this training session or this workshop or this communication because I'm afraid of, of losing my job. Or I've had clients in the past who, um, I had a client who refused to go to a meeting that was offsite. It was in a different state. And he just refused, refused, refused and for years. And I finally said, you know, the story I'm telling myself is that you just don't care about the strategic planning session. And he said, no, actually, my wife is battling a serious health condition, and she doesn't like when I leave her for 24 hours. And so when you unpack and you learn the human side of what that change might be, it can really be transformational in how you work with that person.
2: Absolutely. And I think as change managers, we have this really unique place where we're not their boss. We're not even, you know, tied so much to the organizational goals that maybe your sponsor or your team lead might be. But we can, I call it running into the burning building of resistance. Like, everybody wants to avoid that guy that's throwing the chair because they're just in their mind. He's a jerk, right? Like, they don't want to deal with that. Um, but we we kind of have to, honestly, if we want the change to be adoption, We have to go into that burning building and say, the story I'm telling myself. Or, you know, I, I noticed that you were being disruptive in this meeting. What's really going on? Um, but the challenge is that we have to absorb some of that, like unless you are made of titanium, when someone yells at you because of a change that isn't your idea, you're just helping manage, it's it's really stressful. Mm-hmm.
1: It is. And so
2: paying attention to our own grief, I guess. Absolutely,
1: and I think that's kind of the topic we have today is personal resiliency and how... We manage that at the end of the day, how I go home at the end of the day, and don't take that with me, and don't think about it on the weekends. And I've had um, colleagues of mine that have come to me and said, I cannot stop thinking about the chair-throwing guy. He just really, really wrecked my weekend. And I was at home with my family, and I was just thinking about, you know, what can I do to to make this guy like me, or to, um, to manage this situation better. And so I've actually pointed folks to a few different resources that i love to share. One of them is the book Thanks for the Feedback by Sheila Heen, um, and then the other one is the um, Harvard Business Review article called How to Take Criticism Well by Sabina Nawaz. And I think those articles really point to how we can manage ourselves um, and separate ourselves from the situation. And so one of my favorite points in um, at least the Thanks for the Feedback book is, she has a quote that says, we each have two human needs. One is to learn and to grow and be respected, and the second is accepted and loved the way that we are. And so we want to grow, but we also want to be accepted for who we already are. And so even though feedback facilitates learning and growth, it conflicts with our need to feel respected and so i think that's something we have to remind ourselves as change managers is that we are helping our colleagues or our clients learn and grow and transform but they also want to feel a sense of comfort that they are going to be okay just the way that they are and so reminding ourselves that that feedback piece that we get back from them is just a collision with who they feel like, oh, I shouldn't have to change because the way that I am is already really great. Um, and then the HBR well, and article. if I can
2: pause there, if, you know, you're managing a change that may result in job loss, for example, mm-hmm. like for some people, they really will not be okay, just the way they are, right. uh, because it's already been decided they'll be exiting the organization and just managing that. Like Adnan you mentioned earlier, with empathy and treating them as as individuals who have real psychological needs, I think that's the the magic that we can really provide.
0: Yeah, and I completely agree. agree. And
1: then the, the empathy, empathy side
0: is huge. Yeah, exactly. And then Natalie, um, just curious. Because I find the whole chair throwing example fascinating. I've never come across it, fortunately, and, and it probably would stick with me when I think about it if someone threw a chair in a meeting or punched a hole in the wall. You know, just reacted very physically. That's something that certainly would stay with me for quite a while. Are there any techniques that you have in terms of just setting those boundaries? You know, where where they are crossed. Um, you know, it sounds like there are some techniques potentially that we can leverage. Um, to course correct or perhaps, you know, pause and, and, and take that to in a different direction. You know, for me, it seems like if someone throws a chair at the wall, it's over. But are there techniques we can use to do two things, set boundaries, and also, you know, course correct the discussion?
1: There are, yes. I use them all the time. And so one of them is for in the chair throwing example, for example, <laughs> that one came up. Um, I asked him, I said, I'm sorry, that's, that's not appropriate. And the way that you're behaving is not appropriate at all for workplace behavior or just in general, and so I would like for us to take a pause, and we're going to think about um, the conversation that we're having, and we're going to move forward in about, about about sixty seconds. And so we sat there; and it was awkward for him, very awkward. You know, he's sitting there for sixty seconds, and this is a grown professional, you know, who is just behaving this way. And so, kind of take a pause, recalibrate, and then say, okay, the story I'm telling myself is that you are frustrated about this change, and so therefore you threw this chair. Um, let's talk about this. And so then we started unpacking. And then oftentimes what I'll do is get up, and ideally there's a whiteboard in the room, and I'll start whiteboarding the change. I'll start whiteboarding the the person's issues and get them all out, written out there, because sometimes they'll have one idea or one frustration in their head they keep talking about. Um, But really there's another one that's buried much deeper. And so when you write it down and you get it out on the table, They start to unpack it, and you can see it in their eyes. They start to realize, okay, I'm actually really frustrated about something else that I didn't even maybe realize.
2: Isn't it almost always
1: that? It is. It really is. (laughs) And so I try to do whiteboarding is my second thing I do. And then if I really do feel uncomfortable, I will always bring in someone else into the room and say, okay, I think your opinion might be – you know i may not be grasping exactly what you're trying to say like i'd love to get a more technical person in the room let's grab so and so and that i'll have asked people in advance to kind of be like my safe people um if i have a, a client that might be a little challenging they'll i'll ask hey if i have a challenging client can you come in and talk from the technical side and kind of talk them off the ledge so I'll kind of have those people in advance that i can go to as a resource and so those are kind of the three main things i do in that example also um in this hbr article that i mentioned it's called how to take criticism well um she talks about how to think about the criticism or the frustration not necessarily to you as a person but to your role and so as change managers we often are seen as the bearer of bad news or you know mm-hmm. shooting, shooting the messenger we are the messenger and so um how to just think about that as this is my role, this is the hat that I wear when I come to work. I love my job, but this is just, you know, who, who my role is. It's not me as a person. And
2: really no matter who was that. in this role, they would be getting this. Exactly. Like, it's not that I'm doing a bad job, necessarily. <laughs> I mean, you might be, but
1: <laughs>
2: chances are you're doing a great job, but it wouldn't matter who was in the role. The guy's still still going to be upset.
1: Right. Exactly. And something I always always set boundaries with with my clients and with my colleagues is I'm available six a.m. to six p.m. every weekday. On the weekends and after six p.m. I am offline. So if you need me, you can Slack me, you can email me, but I will not get to it until I'm available because I need time to decompress and really setting those boundaries. I found is really important for my self-care and for the I show up as a better person to work every day if I have set those boundaries and if I have time to decompress.
2: I have another idea I would just like to throw out there if in the HBR article you're referencing you know we we sometimes can get criticism from either you know our clients or our, our people on our technical teams. Um, because we sit in this crux in between a lot of different groups with different priorities. And so I find having people I can trust that are embedded either in the work I'm doing or other change managers maybe, that I can take that back and say, you know, I just got yelled at for half an hour about whatever. Does this ring true? Like, is this a true criticism that maybe I can take back and, and really think about? Or... was that person just stressed and this doesn't make any sense because those logical level-headed people who haven't just come out of a heated situation can pretty easily say oh no that's that's not an actual criticism they're just lashing out but just having those safe people like you're saying Natalie ready to to help you work through some of those heated discussions can be helpful
1: Absolutely. I completely agree having had an internal board of directors to say,
2: was this valid?
1: Is this actually a criticism of me or is this of the project or the situation? And something I always remind myself um, that's really big in, in social psychology is that I am not responsible for other people's emotions. Mm. So I can provide them with resources. I can give them training. I can give them whatever they might need to help them be successful, but it's on them for how they react to the situation. Mm-hmm. So always reminding myself of that every day is is really part of my job um, that I have to remind myself of. And then one of my favorite, again, Dr. Brené Brown, one of my favorite quotes from her is she says, integrity is choosing courage over comfort, choosing what is right over what is fun, fast, or easy, and choosing to practice our values rather than simply professing them. And so with being a change manager, you know, our values are that we stand for change and for transformation and for making things better. And that can be very uncomfortable sometimes. But just to sit in that discomfort, I think as human beings, discomfort is, ah, it makes us feel so blah, you know, just, just <laughs> not great. <laughs> you want to run from it. Right. You just want to run from it. But to sit in it and to sit in the the ickiness and to sit in the discomfort is where I think you can really make a lot of transformation happen with your clients. If you're sitting in that room and they're frustrated, they're mad, they're sad, whatever it might be, but just sitting in that and being there with them versus running from it and sitting there with them in that discomfort is where I think a lot of the transformation can come. And I think, as Bernie says, that's where integrity lives. That's how you start to gain trust of your end users and start to really see them from a humanistic perspective. Like you said, Adnan, in the beginning, it's all about empathy and all about Um, being a representative for the change but also for the people that are being affected by that change in a humanistic way and something I always remind myself is that as human beings we all crave authentic connection it's what we're wired for it's what we were put on this earth for is to be connected to other human beings so reminding ourselves that a little bit of empathy and a little bit of connection can go a long way when we manage change
0: connecting it back to grief really feel it right so when I think about grief they always say feel the grief before you can move on through the stages really feel it let it all out when i think about what you were saying about resistance and that uncomfortableness it's okay to sit in it to your point right really sit in it feel it go through that before you can move on through you know the other steps to ultimately get to that acceptance adoption place
1: i completely agree you're right sitting in it and feeling it and or else if you skip over it, it'll bubble back up later and it will have never been taken care of in the beginning. Right.
0: Do you have any um, advice in terms of how do we know that we've gotten to the root cause of something? So say there is discomfort, um, there might be some reactions that people are having. Um, you know, How many times should we ask the question why? Is there a certain number that you recommend really to make sure that we've gotten to the root cause of what's causing someone to be uncomfortable?
1: Absolutely. I like to ask why five times. That's kind of my go-to. If it starts to be uncomfortable, you know, I will <laughs> cut it short um, or keep going longer. But five is my goal. And so for the example I mentioned earlier, when I had a client who would refused to go to an off-site meeting, at first it was just, well, I just don't think that meeting's valuable. It's not going to use in my time. I don't think it's valuable. Um, and I kept asking why five times. And the fifth time I got to, oh, because it was a personal reason. And so if I would have never unpacked that with him and never asked why those five times, I would have just thought, oh, he's a resistor. I would have marked him as a resistor on my um, my mapping tool and just kind of moved on from there and not actually have been able to utilize him for the great resource he
0: is on the project.
1: So getting
0: to that why is super important. Natalie, do you have any techniques or just in your experience, things that you've done where you can empower others on your team to be more personally resilient?
1: Absolutely. I think as a change management consultant, I oftentimes see myself as a consultant to my clients, but then also a consultant to my teammates, because my teammates, they're incredibly bright. A lot of them are technically... brilliant. That's their their role, is that they're a technical consultant. But they may not be seeing the the challenge from a humanistic side. So I see myself as kind of consulting to them as well. And so something I always remind them is that piece I mentioned earlier about, about you're not responsible for how other people react to things. You're not responsible for other people's emotions. Um, and I always remind them of that, because that's something that I think we you know, we can be in the weeds with being a change manager and, and doing all of our meetings and, and to checking all of our tasks off our list, but we look for, to our left and to our right and our teammates and our colleagues might be struggling with similar things, but they don't have the toolkit like we do to manage that. And so reminding them, again, you know, you're not responsible for other people's emotions, to ask the question why five times when you're in a meeting with someone that might be resistant. and also going back to that piece of it's not you it's your role and so reminding them of that as well that they could be feeling attacked and no one likes to feel that way that's so uncomfortable when you're feeling attacked in a change situation but to always just say okay it's not me it's my role and how can i get to the root cause of this how can i ask the story am i telling myself is blank um is this correct client um so that's why i recommend i talk to them about that all the time to be honest and it's something that I think, like I said earlier, as human beings, we all crave a sense of connection to each other. And if we can just use a few simple keywords to get at the true root causes of things, I think we could all work together a lot better.
0: This is a very interesting topic, and I think one that many of our listeners can personally relate to, and we want to hear what you all have experienced. So email us at changenerds@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Natalie, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Kara and I want to thank you and thank our listeners for their time today. So thank you all, and we will catch you next week. Thank you so much, everyone.